0: Take your Bibles and go with me to Genesis chapter 13. It'll be a little bit before we get there, so just kind of hang tight as we wait. What I'd like to do this morning as we begin is to firmly put you on the horns of a dilemma. In case you don't know what that means, that's one of those terms that's... I don't know, it's just kind of a phrase that we tend to use from time to time, and we don't always think about what the actual meaning is and where it came from, but here's the basic meaning. The horns of a dilemma are that I give you a choice between two options, and either one of you leaves you impaled on the horns of a bull. If you choose one option, you get the left horn. If you choose the other option, you get the right horn. Either way, you get impaled. That's another way of saying I want to control the discussion. Um, particularly, here's the question that I want to throw out there. It seems like it might not be one of those where there's a two bad options. Sound like one of them is the obvious option, but then again, sometimes our churchianity Causes us to give answers we don't think about. Here's the question How will you utilize your resources in the coming year? For yourself or for others? Now, the reason I start off by saying our churchianity gets in our way, we all know that the right answer to that is I'll use my resources to help others. The problem with that is we don't usually handle our resources that way very much. Now, we know that it sounds good for us in church to say, yes, absolutely, whatever God has given. By the way, I'm not just, this is not a sermon on, on stewardship of your money necessarily, although that's going to fit into it. Uh, this is a sermon about the total resource that God gives us. As an individual, uh, you have certain resources that come with the territory, you have time. You have energy. Some of you have more energy than the rest of us. That's just part of the way life works. You have time, you have energy, you have material goods, you have money. Any number of things come into the full mix when I say, how will you use your resources in the coming year for your own personal benefit or for the benefit of others? The church answer is, well, I'll do it for other people. But you see, here's where the... The bad part of that choice comes in. If you're planning on using it for other people, uh, then it's going to cost you. And that's the point that sometimes this kind of stuff starts breaking down for us. So what I want to do today is I want to kind of explore for just a little bit the idea of the choices that we make. We're following Abram's life. Matter of fact, this is going to be uh, the next to last message that we have in this series Not that his life is over, far from that. Matter of fact, we're just really getting started in his story. Uh, But as I'll say later in the message, I want to move to a different topic for a little while, and eventually maybe we'll come back and finish up. So this is the next to last look that we have with this guy named Abram. But we've been watching him as he lives out this life that God ultimately will say in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, looking backwards, he will say, have you considered this guy named Abraham? who started off being called Abram, he is one of my noteworthy servants. It's tied to the way he lived his life and his faith in God, his ability and his willingness to trust God with the resources that he had in life. And So we've been walking with him through this early phase of his life, trying to see what we can learn about what it means to walk with God. So we come to this section today in Genesis chapter 13 where we find what really is kind of a disarming uh, or, or, or it throws my equilibrium off just a little bit as I look at this because April makes a choice here that is not very um, American. It's not very Western Matter of fact, it's really not even very human if we consider the basic human condition. And that is he lets Lot go first. That is not the way we normally like to operate. Usually it's about us. You've heard me say before, the essence of sin is control. And what is tied with that is this basic presupposition of life that says, I will be God, I will call the shots, and that means that I go first. And I get mine And if you're not careful, I'll get yours too. That's the human condition. Abram steps out of that. Let's read Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Actually, I'm going to back it up to verse 5 because that catches the thought here a little bit better. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. And then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot looked up, lifted his eyes, and he saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east Thus they separated from each other. And I'm going to stop reading there for now. We'll pick up reading in just a few moments. But I want to look at Lot first because Lot represents that part of this choice that we have to make. How will we use the resources that we've been giving as we go into a new year? And I know that the new year is just another day on the calendar. Life continues on. It's just this one long continuum for us, but we mark it with these big days on the calendar. And we've just stepped into a new calendar year. But unless something changes in us, we're probably going to just keep living the way we lived in the last calendar year. So today what I want to do is push us into this awareness that every day is full of choices. And when we come to this kind of a big day on the calendar, uh, when the world kind of, at least some of the world, moves towards these New Year's revolutions maybe, but resolutions for sure, It's a good time to stop and say, okay, how do I make the choices? If I'm going to set goals for myself this year, as I move into this year, how will I live my life? Some people are like Lot, and they make their decisions based purely on personal benefit. That's verse 10. He lifted up his eyes. He saw the Jordan Valley. He just the writer here just stacks up these reasons and all of the reasons are things that are beneficial to him. We'll get to Abram in a little bit but I'm I, it, it just kind of throws me off here because Abram says you go first and so Lot goes first and he says because I'm going first I'm going to get the best that's out there. Isn't that a lot like us? Well, that's not all bad. I think that there are some things that uh, we probably should actually look after ourselves and our personal benefits as we go. Let me give you a couple of those. Lot chose what benefited him. Let me tell you why it's important for us to keep in mind on the positive side this idea of choosing with personal benefit. Let's consider your friends, for instance. Now, I'm looking across this room, and I know most of you, at least a little bit, and most of you have at least one friend. Now, a few of you don't. I know that, but... Um, How do you choose your friends? You know, one of the things that just used to really bother my mother was my choice of friends. And I can remember many instances when I would have some of those friends over at the house. I don't know what I was thinking by bringing them, but I did. Uh, I brought them to the house and we would be in one room and most of the time my mother would not be brave enough to get into the same room with us. But she would be off in another room, the kitchen usually, as she looked across to where we were, and I could see on her face that she was really not all that knocked out about the friends that I would chosen. Well, that's a good reason. We got a lot, in lots of trouble, those friends and myself. You know, there's a verse of Scripture in the New Testament that says something, I think it's in the New Testament, bad company corrupts good morals. So those of you who are in the process of picking friends or deciding whether you're going to keep the friends you have, be careful. Be a little bit selfish in the friends that you pick because the reality is that the the friends that you pick may very well help you get into lots of trouble or stay out of trouble. Teresa and I were watching news last night. Interesting thing. This is the negative side. Of this choosing, in other words, choosing the wrong friends. We were watching the news last night. I don't normally do as a news program. Uh, I don't normally watch this particular thing for a number of reasons, but uh, we found ourselves there and I saw, I, I watched just enough, uh, enough of it to get sucked into the storyline. It was about this 16-year-old girl in West Virginia a handful of years ago now, who, ultimately, at the end of the thing, we found out she was murdered by her best friend and the reason that her best friend murdered her is cuz she just got tired of her. That sounds a lot like 21st century American life, doesn't it? We just kind of take what's good for us and as long as it serves us okay, as long as it it benefits me then I'm okay to go with it, but if it doesn't whenever it doesn't I'm just going to kick it to the curb. We find that in all kinds of parts of our lives. Be careful. Be a little bit selfish when it comes to picking the friends that you have. But I want to move it to another one because we got a bunch of teenagers over here and a bunch of us who, well, I'll just uh, leave it with the teenagers. You need to be a little bit careful and be a little bit personal, benefit conscious when it comes to choosing who you date. One of my favorite instances in the lives of our kids happened with a kid that my daughter started dating. His name was Joey. I just referred to him as the punk. Now, the reason I did that is because I'm an excellent judge of character. (laughs) We had... uh... Okay, now, this is a good time for me to remind you just because I did this does not make it acceptable, okay? Okay? Joey was a punk. Have I mentioned that yet? Um, see, we had this deal with our kids. No matter if it was the boys or the, or the girl, uh, if our kids started dating somebody, we expected them to bring those people to our home so that we could meet them and determine whether they were punks or not. And uh, on this particular instance, Lauren was, had been really reluctant to bring this punk to our house and uh, so finally, I kind of threw the, the gauntlet down, and I said, let me tell you something. If I don't meet this kid, I'm going to go with you on your next date. So she set up a meeting for us, and it kind of became one of those out-in-public things. Instead of being at the house, she thought it might be a little safer to do it in public. She just didn't know. Um, and so we're, we go out for this meal, and it's Colin and his girlfriend at the time, who later became his wife. And it was me and Teresa and Lauren and the punk. And uh, so we're at this public restaurant. And there's not a whole lot of people in there, but there's somebody. It wouldn't have mattered anyway because it was time for us to have the discussion. And so we went through this typical kind of a meal, light, you know, lighthearted, back and forth kind of talk. And then when we were finished, just before everybody started to leave, I looked at him and I said, Okay, Joy, it's time for us to have a discussion. And I, I didn't like the kid. I, I just have to tell you, I did not like him at all. He showed gross disrespect. Uh, and so I didn't like him, and, uh, which was kind of unusual because most of her uh, guys she dated I did like, but this one not so. So anyway, I said, here's the deal. I love my daughter a lot. And um, I think that probably uh, she likes you enough to be willing to date you. And, um, so I'm going to go with that because that's the choice she's made and I have enough respect for her decisions to believe there's something there, but I need you to know that I expect you to treat her the way I treat her. Of course, all the time he's over there going, okay. And then I said, if you don't respect her and treat her the way I do, then I'm going to make you disappear. Now the color in Lauren's face just drained out. You know that's as far as I know. That's the last date they ever went on. Now why would I have that kind of discussion and that kind of thing? Now, but just I would not have made him disappear. I'd have made him wanted to disappear, but that's another. Why would we have that discussion? Because as a parent, I recognize that bad company corrupts good morals. I also had been a youth minister for about a dozen years, and I had dealt with many, many good church girls who had started dating guys under the guise, G-U-I-S-E, I I think it's called, uh, that they were going to somehow reach them for Christ. Now, I've seen that happen, but not very often. Most of the time, I saw it go the other direction, and sat in my office with good church girls, leaders of the core part of our youth ministry who had started hanging out with some guys and ended up having abortions in the process of that. Let me tell you something. Bad company corrupts good morals. When we look strictly at the situation and we make a decision on that based on what's good for me, then we have the very real capacity of blocking out wisdom. In doing that, Lot gets so enamored with the goodness of the territory that he makes a decision that's good for him. No sense of awareness of what's good for Abram. It's all about him. The reason I think this is important enough to spend half of a sermon on it It's because I know passages like Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. You know what that says? Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You see, there's something built into us, that sin nature part of us, that is drawn to personal benefit. This is good for me. I'm going to do this. That's why adults... We get locked into jobs that always push us to the next promotion because the next promotion gives me more money. Now, I know, I know that we hide behind that and we say, no, it's really good for my family. Okay? And I understand that. I had three kids. They all liked to eat. And the older they got, the more they ate, which means we had to buy more groceries. I understand that. But also understand that part of us that says, I'm going to get this job, and I'm going to excel at this job, and when I excel at it, they're going to give me a promotion, and with that promotion comes more money and a better sense of self-esteem because, after all, I have accomplished this now. Or we go into the education field, and we get all of that education that we get, and we educate a bunch of idiots because the whole focus of that can become it's just for me, and it's for my good. Well, I think there is a good, strong basis for being aware of what's good for you in your decisions. If that is the only reason you make that decision, it's a bad choice. Just like situational focus leads to failing faith, as I've said before, so the appeal of life, the bells and the whistles, can lead us to compromised faith. I know that I haven't talked about it here, so let me just go ahead and throw it out, and I'm going to spend a whole lot of time here. I'll just throw it out. For Lot, you may be looking at it and going, Why, where do you get that? I get that from chapter 14, because, and I don't want to take the time to read it or even to tell the story here, but if you'll go back and read chapter 14, you will find that that area that Lot chose that looked so great to him that I just got to have that, that place got invaded, and Lot got carried off as a prisoner of war. And then chapter 19, where it really gets dicey. In chapter 19, we find where God has come to Abram and Abram is arguing for Lot's life because God's coming down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, the very place that Lot chose. It looked so good, but it cost him his integrity, his home, and ultimately everything that he had. Don't make a decision based strictly on what's good for you. Let me move. I'll just throw this out as an application thing. If you happen to be one who makes New Year's resolutions or sets goals for the new year, go back and look at those again and make sure that what you're trying to accomplish this year is not just for your own good. Here's the other part. Now we go to this. Remember, we're talking about resources here. This is Abram's example and we find this coming out of verses 8 and 9. I've already read it, so I'm not going to read it again. But in verses 8 and 9, what we, find, what we have here is Abram who takes a step backwards and he lets Lot make the choice. Now, I've said it twice already today. I don't quite understand that for him. What would move him to make that choice? Because you have to know, he didn't have to make that choice. By all rights, cultural Legal in his situation, his family situation, all of those, all rights were his. He was the patriarch of the family. He was the guy that Lot had to look up to. He was the guy that Lot had hooked hooked his wagon to when they left what is current Iraq. He was the one who followed Abram into Egypt. He was with Abram, Abram did not have to under any stretch of the imagination did not have to say to him, you get to choose first, but he did, I don't get that and there's a spiritual reason that he didn't have to do that too he's the one that God had said, I'm going to give you all of this land what would move Abram to make that choice I think maybe it's a good time for us to stop and look at ourselves again Because the reality is, most of us have considerable resource. I know that you may not have a lot of money in the bank, but you know in Western society, in American society, even the poorest of us has a leg up on most of the rest of the world. We are well resourced. So how will you choose to spend your resource, to invest your resource, whether it's time or money or whatever. I think we should learn from Abram here. What would move him to do that? Here's my best shot at a good answer. The only thing we have to work with is what God has said about this guy and what we have found revealed about him in scripture, and that is that he is noteworthy because of his faith. What could move a guy who didn't have to let somebody else go first let them go first? Maybe it was just his faith. Maybe it was so simple that we make too much of it by trying to make a bunch of it. It was just the way that he lived his life. That fits with the God way of living. That fits for any follower of God, especially those of us in the New Testament era who call ourselves Christian people. It is thoroughly divine invest your resources into others that's what Jesus did come to that in just a second let's look at Abram here maybe the basis for all of this comes from chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 I'm not going to take the time to read it but that's where God said hey man pack up your stuff we're leaving and part of that comment of that command to him was I'm going to do something for you And then chapter 12, verse 7, after Abram was responsible and obedient and he did what God said, he gets to verse 7 and God reinforces what he had said in verses 1 and 3. And he says, hey man, I'm going to give you all of this. What you see here, I'm going to give it to you. How could Abram let Lot go first? Maybe the answer was he just trusted God to carry out what God told him he was going to do. I'll add one more into that because... I fail at this a lot more than I get it right. So I learn a lot from his failures. And I've said as we've gone through this, I think his failure occurs when he goes into Egypt. I think that Abram just totally took his eyes off of God and onto the situation. Situational focus causes failing faith. And as he went to Egypt, he learned something that even in disobedience and failure, God can carry out his word. What a great lesson when it comes to this moment where he says to Lot, you take your pick. Now, I'm going to read my own words into this. Very dangerous. But I think it's as if Abram is saying, in one way or another, Lot, you go first, and I'm going to trust God to give me what I need. So very un-American of him. So very un-21st century Christian of him. So very divine of him. What better picture of that do we have than Jesus himself? Who scripture says left the splendor and the majesty of the throne room of heaven. And he took on earthly flesh. Why would he do that? (laughs) Why? Because he understood the divine plan of redeeming humanity. That is what love is. It is the investment of self into somebody else so that you can help them achieve a level of living that they could never achieve on their own. That's what love looks like in a marriage that's healthy. That's what love looks like in a church that's healthy. That's what love looked like hanging on a cross for your sake. This is a picture long before we ever even would have dreamed that we needed a cross and a Savior. This is a picture of divine love that Abram is able to say, you choose first. I'll be okay if that doesn't get it for you I'll throw you into Philippians chapter 2 I will read this one for you Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but to the interests of others here's my suggestion for us why don't we, as a church, the church, by the way, is nothing more than just a collection of individuals who are connected in community? Why don't we consider making this new year a year where we focus on investing in each other and in those people who are outside? Noteworthy living considers the lives and the needs of other people. Love says I sprint to the need, not just casually go to address it, but I sprint into the need with the resources that I've been given. This is a good time for me to just throw that statement out. We all know those resources you have, they're just given to you to manage. They're not really yours anyway. If you happen to be thinking that this is going to cost you something, now you get the dilemma part of where I started. You see, this is so contrary to the American way of life. We, we live to get. We live for personal benefit. I, I went to school for a long time because, well, whatever your reason is. I work hard. I work 50-hour weeks. That's almost average nowadays. What is it that drives you? This is going to cost you something. With Abram, we see it in chapter 14. Lot, as I said, these foreign invading armies come down, these kings of other City-states come down and they take Lot and those other people from that river plain there and they take them away in captivity. Abram, because he is in it for benefiting others, packs up and goes after him. Fights a battle to get him back. The same guy who took the best land, Abram says, okay, I got to go get you. Keeps bailing him out. That's the way it goes, isn't it? So with this, I think that maybe we should see what the benefit, the personal benefit of investing in others is for him. Look at verses 14 through 18. I think I stopped reading here before. I'll go back up to uh, verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, here's what I want you to get. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. Eastward, by the way, is where Lot went. God says, look all over the place, north, south, east, west, including that area that you just gave away, verse 15, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Don't ever miss this truth. In the heart of serving, God shows up big time. And he promises to give us everything we need to be obedient to the way he told us to live. Yeah, it may cost you something. But there's always a personal benefit in it. Isn't that contradictory? No, it's just kind of divine, I think. And here's the added piece of information that God gives him. Verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. God never asks something of you like investing in others but that he gives you the resources you need to pull it off. Let me ask you to bow your heads and pray with me for a few moments. I want to direct this prayer time as we go into invitation time. How are you making the choices that are relative to your resources? I would really encourage you to take some time over the coming week and reevaluate how you do that. As a church, I'm encouraging us. I'm going to be really encouraging us to do this, that we look at opportunities to invest in each other, but not just in each other. We can get so good at internal investment that we totally ignore a lost world outside of us, full of needs. I'm so committed to that that I'm getting off of this preaching series and going to be preaching through the book of 1 John as we go a couple of more messages and then I'll start that. we got to get love right. And it's an ongoing thing. It's not every once in a while we bring it to the surface. It's got to be the DNA of how we operate. That's going to cut against the cry of our age that says get all, of you, all that you can get in life. Take it away from somebody else if you have to. It's about investing so where are you with that? If you're here today and you don't know the life that God has for you through Jesus Christ, let me just tell you, that's the best picture of what an investment in life can be. Jesus Christ died for you so that you could live. If you don't know him, I sure would love to invite you and to know him, to meet him today. We're going to have an invitation in a moment. Everybody stand just a second. Let's invite you to slip out we'll talk about that come down we'll be down here we'll pray with you talk with you not a person in here is free from making a choice anew now will I walk out of here and live for self or live for God that involves investing in other people stand Father we ask you to take this time use it for your glory change lives work hearts over Jesus' name, Amen. You come.